You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso at 13 minutes before the hour. The northern spotted owl nests in the tops of trees in old-growth forests. Timber harvesting and land conversions resulted in the loss of the owl's habitat, and it was listed as an endangered species in 1990. In 2012, federal officials designated more than 9.5 million acres in California, Oregon, and Washington as essential for the owl's survival. But the owl has lost the latest round in the long-running legal fight with lumber companies over its habitat. The D.C. Court of Appeals has ruled that the lumber companies can challenge the owl's designated critical habitat because they may lose a source of timber supply and suffer economic harm. My guest is Charles Warren, head of the environmental practice at Kramer Levin, Neftalis and Frankel. Chuck, did the court factor in the steep decline in the population of the spotted owls due to logging? How did it come to its decision? Really, on this June, what they did was, this was a standing decision. It really was not a decision on the merits. And so what standing is, under the Constitution, Article 3, which creates the court system, there's something called a case and controversy requirement, which means that there actually has to be a case and controversy, and the person bringing the case has to have standing to bring it. And that means, generally, that there's a, a concrete harm or particularized harm to that person or injury to that person, and that it's caused by the challenged conduct and that the requested relief is likely to redress the injury. So that was the issue that the court was really talking about because the district court judge essentially said there's no standing for these organizations to bring this lawsuit. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals basically said, no, we find that there is standing because the main uh, plaintiff was the Trade Association, the American Forest Resource Council, and a number of members of that council essentially said through you know, an affidavit and a declaration by the head of uh, the American Forest Resource Council said that, look, we depend on these lands for our livelihood, and if, you know, if we're restricted in the kinds of lumber and the amount of lumber we can get from these lands, it's going to really hurt us economically. And the court essentially said, yes, we think that's a reasonable assumption to make in this case, and uh, they will be hurt by this, and so therefore they do have standing to bring the lawsuit. They didn't talk about the merits of the case. I mean, they seem to say, yeah, they're certainly, they have an economic injury here, and they sent it back to the district court to talk about the merits, and then they'll get into the issues. You know, this is critical habitat, and should this be taken off, you know, out of this program, and because clear-cutting, which is a technique that the lumber companies use, is something that really does tremendous amount of damage to the habitat. So I'm not sure you can predict what the final decision will be based on this, because this was only standing. The court was only ruling on standing, but the unanimous opinion stressed how large the designated critical habitat is. Judge Brett Kavanaugh wrote that it was roughly twice the size of the state of New Jersey. Will that have an impact on the case going forward? There was sort of a, a little twist to this, which is interesting. There were nine and a half million acres that they wanted to designate as critical habitat, which is a big area, obviously. But, you know, within that land, there are lands that they call matrix land. 
and there were more than 3 million acres of those, and their lands that were previously set aside by the law to provide a steady supply of lumber for local lumber-based economy, like, you know, in these areas. So I could see the lower court taking a look and saying, well, maybe we have to look more carefully at these 3 million acres than at the rest of the 6.5 million acres, which are not matrix lands. There's a way to sort of uh, split the case up a little bit once they get down there. But I think you're right. I think the issue of how much acreage was involved could have an issue one way or another in the lower court. The Trump administration has been rolling back environmental protections. Trump said the rules are out of control. Is there any possibility that the federal government may change the designated area of the spotted owl itself or not even defend the lawsuit? Yes, they could. There's some danger, although it's already back to the uh, district court and it's ongoing. They probably will defend that, but they could certainly make a change or attempt to make a change, but it's not so easy. Once you make one of these critical habitat designations and you lay out all your reasons, you know, if you're going to make a change, you have to come up with some very cogent reasons for making that change, and that's always subject, again, to challenge and lawsuits. So, but they could certainly attempt to do that. I mean, it would be in keeping with some of the stuff that they've done in the EPA area, where they're saying they're going to reconsider and go back and try to redo these regulations, like in the clean power plant situation. So how big a loss is this for environmentalists and for the spotted owl? Well, you know, obviously this right now, this case, I wouldn't say it's a big loss because the merits haven't been decided, but it would have been a big win if they had upheld the first judge's standing opinion, and that would have thrown the case out. And it's unlikely that the Supreme Court would have taken it at this point beyond the D.C. Circuit. So it is a loss, certainly, and we don't know exactly yet how big a loss it'll be because habitat is important for the spotted owl. You know, this is obviously a big area which they thought you needed to have an effective critical habitat for them. And if you lose some or all of that, that could have a big impact on the spotted owl. But I think once you get to the lower court, the impact on the spotted owl is going to come into play a lot more. And that's where we can't be sure how it's going to end up. Chuck, the case of the loggers versus the northern spotted owl seems to echo other battles where business faces off against the conservation of endangered species, the Farm Bureau versus the gray wolf. The solar power industry versus the threatened desert tortoise and oil and gas drillers versus the sage grouse. Right. How do they weigh these? Well, I think the most important thing, once you put a species on the endangered or threatened species list, then the question is, what's the next move? And the next move gets into the area of designated critical habitat. That's what we have in this case. That's what we have in all these other cases that you just talked about, you know, whether it's the gray wolf or the desert tortoise or the sage grouse, et cetera, right? So a lot of times, though, there are ways to come up with compromises and the question of how much area is designated as critical habitat and, you know, working together with some of the states and other groups, they come up with efforts like in the sage grouse area, the states have promised they're going to do a lot of work to try to save the sage grouse and stuff like that. And so the feds, I think, have backed off a little in that area. And I think the desert tortoise is actually a very interesting situation because there you have renewable energy projects, right? Like these solar projects, but they take up 
huge areas and they disrupt the travel path of the tortoise, and that's a big issue. And you know, the question is, maybe you can design these systems better that would allow the tortoises to have a way through that would not affect them so much. And I mean, there are ways to deal with these. And I should say that there are a number of members of Congress, particularly in the House, that would like to amend the Endangered Species Act and really render it fairly useless. I don't know that they're going to be successful in that effort, but I think they're going to make a renewed push for that. How effective has the Endangered Species Act been? I think it's been reasonably effective. One of the things you have to look at is that the Endangered Species Act hasn't been invoked as much as it could be because it can have very serious economic consequences. But it's been effective. I think it's helped really uh, relieve the pressure on a lot of threatened species. And I think that people have worked hard to you know, make accommodations and to consider what impacts that it might have on certain businesses and other things. I mean, it's, it's a trade-off, but I think it's been reasonably effective. And I think part of the efforts to repeal it are that it has been pretty effective, and I think people feel that it's something that ought to be changed because it has caused an impact, or at least they say an impact, in a lot of areas and affected businesses adversely. However, one thing in the history of environmental protection that has to be looked at is that, in general, businesses have said that you're going to have dire consequences from the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, and for the most part, overwhelmingly, it hasn't turned out to be as bad as they've said it's going to be. So I think history is actually on the side of environmental protection, that it does work, and that the impact on business and industry and the economy is not nearly what is predicted by the doomsayers. And the American bald eagle is back in business. Absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of things. That was directly related to the banning of DDT, which had such a strong impact on things like the bald eagle and and other predator-type birds. And when they banned DDT, and as it got more and more out of the environment, you saw these birds making a big comeback. Now, after a Trump administration delay, the rusty-patched bumblebee was put on the endangered species list on March 21st. Did a lawsuit filed challenging the delay have anything to do with that? Yes, I believe it did. I think that it pressured them to make a decision, and this administration is not always consistent in the way it does things, and I think to some people's surprise, they did go forward with it. And, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, once the agency is on its way to designating something, they prepared an extensive record of it. And now if you make a U-turn and suddenly say, well, we have this extensive record, now we decided we're not going to do it. And the question is, all right, why did you make that change? And it's often not easy to justify that U-turn. That's Charles Warren, a partner at Kramer Levin. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.